So today we are uh, continuing this series called Expand Your Worldview. And we've talked uh, over the last few weeks uh, about what it means to expand your worldview with a conversion experience where you experience Jesus Christ in your life. We've talked about uh, expanding our worldview with an understanding of healing where, where Jesus uses us to bring healing to other people and where he brings healing to us. And then last week we talked about expanding our worldview with what it means to reach to the other, the person who's different than you, who comes from a different place than you come from. And and today we're going to continue looking in the book of Acts at a story in the development of the first century church that, that I think is very, very important because it addresses an issue in this story that we've got to address because of by my estimation, somewhere between 50 and 70 years of, forgive my judgmental phrasing, bad teaching from the life of the church. Um, there's, there's been this teaching in the life of the church that, that grace is this unmerited favor of God. Well, that, that's true. That, that is a Pauline concept from the New Testament. It, it's it's a, a translation of the word grace. It means the unmerited favor of God. But, but it means more than that. I mean, it's, and it's a pretty important understanding, this term grace. I mean, when my boys were young and, and uh, we would say, okay, before the meal, we're going to say grace. I don't, maybe you never did this or no one in your family did it. But like, I'd say, okay, boys, let's say grace. Inevitably, one of them would go, grace. I'm like, no, no, I mean, we're going to pray now, boys, okay? We're, gonna, we're actually going to have a conversation with God now. Yeah, oh, okay, all right. And, and, and I, I think there's, there's a sense in which this term grace has become so familiarized in the church world that we've missed, we've missed its full impact and its full power. Because you see, if, if grace is just simply this thing that you experience when Jesus forgives you of your sins, then that's a pretty limited view of what the Bible teaches us about grace. And that's why I think we have to address it because we've got a cultural understanding that is misconstrued, and we've got one in the church. A few weeks ago, I was doing an interview um, with uh, Pastor Ali Muncie from City Church up in Chicago. Uh, Kent and Ali Muncie planted that church a number of years ago. I've had the privilege of, of speaking there, and there are a number of Anderson University graduates who are a part of it. It's a, it's a church that's right in downtown Chicago, and... Um, it's, um, it's a church that is packed with people under 30. I mean, you go there and you look around, and if you're 40, you're ancient. I just want to make me feel like a dinosaur, all right? I'm looking around going, oh, my goodness gracious. And I've got kids older than everybody here, right? And so I'm looking at this going, oh, my goodness, what's going on? And, and Allie asked me this question, and it's had me thinking, and I'm hoping the answer I gave her in the interview is, is as good as it needs to be, because here's her question. To a, a generation, to a world, who, who's being, being impacted by a cancel culture, who's been impacted by institutional racism, who's been impacted by social injustice and economic upheaval, and who look at the church and, and, and believe that the church, the church may not even have anything to say to them. Pastor Kerry, what would you say to them? about grace. And I thought for a minute, and, and for the life of me, here's what, here's what came in my mind. I, I, I said, you know what, here's, here's, here's what I, I think we need to say. 
grace that we receive from God is also grace that we give to others. And, and so we've got a generation, we've got a culture right now where everybody wants grace for themselves, right? I mean, give me grace because I'm going to mess up, all right? I mean, I mean have, you, have you seen the bumper sticker, we're all just sinners saved by grace, all right? Grace. But, but the fact is, when you're given grace, you're given grace in order to give grace. So to a cancel culture, I would say, you know what? Yeah, a lot of people did some pretty stupid stuff when they were in their teenage years. You want your stupid stuff put on the internet? <laughs> Let's give a little grace. To, to people who, who want to look around and say, you know what? This, this is not right. You're, you're exactly right. It's not right. But are you capable of any better? Because what we've done is, is in this culture, we've set ourselves up to receive grace, but we've not set ourselves up to give grace. And the reason, I believe, is because we have failed as a church to understand what grace is really about. So this morning, if you'll allow me, I want to take us into the book of Acts to a story that when we first read it, if you read it too quickly, as all of these stories in the book of Acts, if you read them too quickly, you miss the impact. And if you don't connect the dots of all the stories in the book of Acts, then you miss the real meaning of what Luke was trying to tell the people in the first century who were reading this story. So follow with me from Acts chapter 11, verse 19. We're going to take a few minutes today, and we're going to try to examine what grace is really about more than just being forgiven of our sin. More than just, hey, give me grace. I, you know, I'm, I'm not doing too well today. Just give me a little grace. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The grace that, that the New Testament teaches us is a grace that we receive and a grace that we give. And it's in this story. Listen, from Acts chapter 11, I'm going to start reading at verse 19. Now, those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. So, I want to start right there. Remember, we've been studying the story. When Stephen was persecuted, when Stephen was stoned, an uprising happened among the Jewish people in Jerusalem, and the authorities there began to go after all of the, at that point in time, more than 10,000 Christians in Jerusalem. And so, these Christians scattered. Uh, they, they, they scattered out of the city of Jerusalem, and they, they had to for fear of their life. And the guy leading the persecution, remember, was a guy named Saul, a, a guy who held the cloaks of the people who threw the rocks that killed Stephen. And, and a guy who then later, as we discovered in the book of Acts, had his own encounter with Jesus on a road to Damascus and was converted, became a follower of Jesus. So now, in, in that time frame, what Luke is doing is going, let me go back to this and show you just a little bit. These people scattered... And they went to Phoenicia, to Cyprus, and to Antioch. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that is the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, if you've got a highlighter or a Bible or a pen, underline that. On your digital device, in your Bible, whatever you use, home or on campus, underline that. 
It's the most important phrase in the story. When Barnabas came to Antioch and saw the grace of God, he was glad and exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, that same Saul we were talking about a minute ago. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, I ask you to underline that part because, because here's, here's the reality. What Luke says is that Barnabas showed up in Antioch and he saw the grace of God. Now, how do you see the grace of God if all grace is, is this unmerited favor that forgives us individually of our individual sins? You don't see that unless it makes a difference in somebody's life. And the fact that it's Barnabas is really, really cool. Because you see, in the church in Jerusalem chose Barnabas to go to Antioch because if you read again throughout the book of Acts and you connect the dots, Barnabas' given name is Joseph. And he's Joseph from Cyprus. I like to refer to him as Joe from Cyprus. And Joe from Cyprus was in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples. He was a part of those thousands of people who became a follower of Jesus Christ. And as he did that, this man who was not from Jerusalem but was from Cyprus, who therefore spoke both Hebrew and Greek, the man who was a, a metropolitan, not a rural agrarian guy. He's a, he's a cosmopolitan guy. He's there, and he's encouraging people. He's generous. We know that he sold some of his family's land and gave the money to the church to feed the widows and the, and the orphans in the church. And, and so this is the guy that when, when word gets back to Jerusalem, to the, to the 12 apostles and to the, the people in the church there that are left, the ones that, are, that stayed and didn't run away, that those people who left have been telling Greek people about Jesus. They send Barnabas up. And when Barnabas gets there, he sees the grace of God. How does he see the grace of God? I, I want to I share that with you in the story today. So first of all, let's go back to the verse 19, okay? In verse 19, it talks about the fact that these scattered people, some of whom were from Antioch, some were from Cyprus, same place Barnabas is from, and some of them were from other places. And when they scattered, they ended up in these places where people were different than where they were from, from Jerusalem. And so when they get there, here's what's going on. I, I love this story. Did you hear it? They're scattered because of persecution that came from the Jewish church led by Saul. Saul started the persecution. He's the one who kept going. He's the one approving of the death of Stephen. And so Saul is the one that causes them to leave. And when they get to Antioch, this is huge because at that point in, in world history, in, in the first century, Antioch was the third largest city in the world. It, it was a city on a bay, and, and basically you had Rome uh, that was bigger and Alexandria over in Egypt. And then he had Antioch, which is on kind of the, the eastern side of the Mediterranean. And so what you've got over here is this city where people are coming from all kinds of different backgrounds. And these people, 
that are scattered, now they end up in that city. And at first, they're just telling people who are like them, other people who are from a Hebrew background about Jesus. But then something happens inside of them, and they begin to realize, you know what? These other people who aren't looking for a Messiah for their nation, but instead are looking for a Savior for their soul, need exactly what Jesus has. Because you see, in Antioch, there were all kinds of different religions, a very mystical place. There, was, there were all kinds of temples from different gods, and people were doing all kinds of crazy things, we would say. I mean, there was like one of the ways you worship was, was with the temple prostitutes, okay? Sex was considered a form of worship in Antioch. That's not something we need to bring back in the 21st century, just let you know, all right? Unless you're married, all right? What the Bible says is it is an act of worship if you're a married couple. But to those who are not married, that is not something to which the Bible says we are to give ourselves. Because, by the way, that is, this is a footnote. You get this for free. Sex is giving yourself to somebody. And so you just have to understand that. Now, back to the main focus of this. What's going on here is grace becomes so needed that the Hebrew people who've come into Antioch, they begin to share with the Greek people. You see, here's what I want you to understand about grace. Grace from God that's more than just forgiving us of our sins. It is so powerful that it overcomes all the obstacles in our life. These people had come to Antioch because they couldn't stay in Jerusalem. They were being persecuted. It was a tough time. They, it's the exact opposite of what we're living through. Instead of being told to shelter in place and quarantine and all the stuff we did months ago, they're told, get out of Dodge. We don't want you here. And yet it's the same obstacle. I don't know what obstacles you've got in your life today. I don't know what it, whether it's emotional. I don't know if it's your family. I don't know if it's financial. I don't know what's going on. Here's what I do know. The grace that is unmerited favor from God came not only to forgive you of your sins, but to literally take you past the obstacles of your life. For these people who've been scattered, suddenly they're in a new place, in a new culture, with new people. And what do they find out? God is the same. God is still loving Jesus' story is still the story. People who've never even heard of the Torah, people who cannot tell you the Pentateuch, people who cannot quote for you the, the, the prophets, they, they are still looking for something in their life. And right now, one of the things I'm very, very convinced about, and not, I just I don't want to be like missing the opportunity to tell you that, yes, COVID's bad. Yes, the economy's bad. Yes, it's a politically divided season. Yes, I get all of that. But as I told you last week, it's the kingdom of God that lasts forever. And on Wednesday the 4th, no matter who gets elected on Tuesday the 3rd, God is still God. The kingdom of God is still the kingdom of God. And no matter what obstacle we're facing, God's grace is sufficient. God's grace will take us past the obstacles. I mean, look at it again from this passage. Those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except the Jews at first. But there were some of them, some of them who got more of grace than the others, who understood this wasn't just about them being forgiven. These men of Cyprus and Cyrene who came to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists. That's another word for the Greeks also. Only these weren't just Greeks who had come to Jerusalem to worship. No, these were Greeks in Antioch, a city of hundreds of thousands, maybe even a couple of million people. 
third largest city in the world in the first century. All kinds of eclectic ideas, all kinds of people searching. Does that not sound like the world you and I live in? And I believe that out of this world, out of this concept, there's an understanding that the grace of God is for a day like today, just like it was for that day. And that some of us, some of us can be like these people. We can feel led by God to share the grace we've experienced with the people around us who are also looking. Oh, they're not looking for a, a church God. They're not looking for a Jewish Messiah. No, what they're looking for, they're looking for a Savior. They're looking, they're looking for, for someone who can help them be who they were really created to be because that's the premise of Christianity. The premise of Christianity is that without Jesus, without God in your life through Jesus, you can never live to be who you were born to be. And every one of us was created in the image and the likeness of God. Deep down inside of you, no matter how messed up your world is, no matter how tough your obstacles are, you were created to be a child of God and to live better than you're living without Jesus in your life. And so grace, grace that is greater than all of our sin, yeah, that grace is here to help us overcome not just our past and our, our pain, but it's also here to help others overcome their past and their pain. And that's why... The next thing that happened in Antioch is huge because I think it's what needs to happen right now in the church in the West, in the U.S., and around the world right now. You see, grace that overcomes the obstacles empowers love in our hearts. Grace that overcomes the obstacles, grace empowers love in our heart. So we don't just receive love. That's what I was trying to say to, to, to Pastor Ali Muncy up in Chicago. Hey, look, this isn't just about what we receive. This is about what we can give. And my friends, if there's ever a time when the world needed the church to have our hearts so empowered to love people, it's this time. You were born for such a time as this. You were created for a day like today. You were given an opportunity just like these people in Antioch were. You were given an opportunity to be the grace of God when your heart begins to love people who don't look like you, who don't act like you. You've been sent wherever it is you are in order to love the people around you just like, just like these people who ended up in Antioch. Look at it again. When word got back to Jerusalem about what God was doing in Antioch through these people who, who were overcoming the obstacles and the barriers, who were having their hearts changed, then, then the hand of the Lord was with those people because they were empowered by love. And a great number of people in Antioch believed and turned to the Lord. When the report came back to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas of Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Barnabas was the right guy for the job. He, he was the person, not just because he was from Cyprus, not just because he spoke Hebrew and Greek, not just because he knew that area of the world, but because he was also a man by temperament who was known as an encourager. And so when he got to Antioch, he saw the grace of God. What did he see? He saw people who had overcome the obstacles, those who had left because of the persecution, to find the joy of God. And he saw people who had been so moved by the love they had received that they gave love to people who were different than them. 
And, and when, when that becomes the earmark of the church, when, when that becomes the way people know who the Christians are, then, then suddenly our worldview isn't just expanded, it's exploded. And we become people who, who reach out in such a way and love the people, and it starts by loving the ones who are closest to you now. The ones you work with now, the ones you live with now, the ones you go to class with now, the people who drive you absolutely up a wall. Only grace could make you love those people. Only grace could make you love those people. But grace, the grace of the Bible, it can help you love those people. It can teach you to love people that you, you think are completely unlovable. When I was a kid growing up, my father was a pastor. I've told you that before. And in every church we ever pastored, there was always, there was always this one person who was, th today we, we would call them uh, challenged, okay? Um, this particular young man I'm talking about, his name was Larry. Larry had lived normally, as normal as any of us can, until he was 16. When he was 16, he, he developed a degenerative brain tumor, a tumor that slowly grew and grew and grew. And as it grew, it took away his mental capacities. When I first met Larry, he was 25 years old. But he acted like he was about 8 or 9. But he was physically the size of a 25-year-old. And so Larry came to our church. Now, because of his illness, he had lost all of his teeth. And so he had this really cute trick where he could touch his nose with his chin. And he loved Bible school because in Bible school, he got to be with the kids, even though he was bigger than all of them. And as he would say, I win the games. I win the games. We'd take Larry with us on our youth trips because he was as big as we were. In fact, he was bigger than some of us. And, and, and so we'd take him along. And he was, always, he was the life of the party. I mean, I will, never forget, I will never forget the Sunday morning when the ushers came running back past a group of us in the hallway to get my father, the pastor, to say, Larry's in front of the church. And he's singing. People are walking out of the room. Pastor, you have to come do something with Larry. So my dad went in the sanctuary. He walked up to Larry, put his arm around him, said, Larry, it's not time to sing yet. He looked, Larry looked at my dad and said, one more verse, Pastor, one more verse. And then when he finished the song, he did a cartwheel all the way down the center aisle and out the back door. I mean, just cartwheel after cartwheel after cartwheel. He was proud of himself. I couldn't do a cartwheel. And I tell you about Larry because of this. No matter what he did, no matter what happened at church on Sunday morning, every Sunday afternoon, this is before cell phones, okay? I'm old. All right, every Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, the, the phone would ring at our house. My brothers, from what I, one of us would answer the phone. Every time, it would be Larry. Every Sunday, 4 o'clock. Can I talk to Brother Robinson? I need to talk to Brother Robinson. That was my dad. So we go, Dad, it's Larry. And he'd come to the phone, and my dad would say, Yes, Larry. Yes, Larry. I love you, Larry. Thanks for calling. Hang up. We'd say, Dad, why does he call every Sunday at 4 o'clock? He says, Boys, you, you don't understand who Larry really is and what Larry lives with every day of his life and what his family's like. And every Sunday he comes at 4 o'clock to say, Brother Robinson, do you still love me? Do you still love me? Can I tell you something, friend? There are some Larrys in your life who drive you absolutely up a wall. 
And what they really want to know is, do you have the power to love me? Do you have the grace to love me? Because that's what happened in Antioch. Even though people were from different places and different backgrounds and had different issues and different ideas, kind of like right now. What these people were able to do by the grace of God, the grace of God empowered them to overcome their obstacles, yes. Forgave them of their sins, yes. But the, but the power of God's grace was there to empower their hearts to love people who were different than them. And what that did was it changed their lifestyle. It changed their lifestyle. You see, it's no coincidence, no coincidence at all that it was in Antioch, not Jerusalem, in Antioch, not Israel, Antioch, not Judea, that the followers of Jesus were first called Christians, Christians. Because in this culture where no one knew who a Messiah was, no one was looking for Israel to conquer the world. No, in this society, in, in Antioch, people were looking for someone who could help them, someone who could love them, someone who could change their life. And when they saw the changed lives of people who followed Christ, and they saw the way they loved each other, and they loved the people around them, then suddenly they knew those people are different, and they must be like Christ, Christian. Look at it again. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. Now I have to stop right there for a minute because this is hilarious. Saul's the guy who started the persecution. Saul's the guy who had orders to put everybody in jail. He's the reason these people are in Antioch. And who does Barnabas go get? Saul. Why? Because Saul had discovered the grace of God in his own life, and Barnabas could see the change. And so he goes up to Tarsus knowing, hey, Saul's a guy who's both Hebrew heritage and Greek permitted and a Roman citizen. And so he goes to Tarsus. But that word right there, the word that says to look for Saul, that word that's translated to look for Saul, it talks about the fact that he had to spend some time trying to find Saul. Which means if you read Saul's story as he writes it in his letters when he's Paul, when he's known as Paul, he talks about the fact that he's been rejected. He's been ostracized. He's been put out. In that culture in the first century, if a Jewish leader, a Jewish man responsible for his household came back and said, I'm, no, I'm going to follow Jesus, he was often, if not always, rejected by his family. So this wasn't like Barnabas is in Antioch going, hey, you know my friend Saul, he could probably help these people out. So let me just plug the coordinates in my GPS and take my chariot up to his place and stop at the door, knock at the door, and find Saul. There wasn't an address like that. Because Saul was no longer living with his family that had put him out because of his faith. But he was living with grace that had changed his heart and changed his life and could actually take him over the obstacles he had actually created. See, that's the part you've got to know. Some of our obstacles we've created ourselves, but he gave the opportunity, we get the opportunity, to see God change us. And that's why they're called Christians. For a whole year, Saul and Barnabas meet with these folks in Antioch, and the change in them is so dramatic that people call them Christians. Would it be possible 
that in 2020 and 2021, the reaction of Christian people, people who call the name of Christ to a global pandemic and economic upheaval and political division and social injustice and all the things that we're walking through right now, if our reaction to those things was so changed by grace that our lifestyles marked us as the people of Jesus instead of being marked as a political group which the world today, unfortunately, the majority of them just think of Christians as some, some political influencing group with an agenda. What would it look like? What could the world look like if we were people of grace? But there's one more part to this grace. Part of the story I didn't read for you because I wanted you to hear it with fresh ears right now. Because you see, Saul came with Barnabas because of the grace in his life. And the people were changed because of the grace in their lives. And they were so changed, in fact, that God began to use them to meet the needs of other people. See, grace, grace isn't just to meet your needs. That's what I was trying to tell Pastor Ali Muncy and the folks at City Church, is that, is that we receive grace in order to give grace. Grace meets the needs of others through us. Grace meets the needs of others through us. Pastor Kerry, what do you mean? Well, in those days, while Saul and Barnabas were in Antioch teaching, some guys came down from Jerusalem. Look at the story. In these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. Luke lets us know this actually took place. Historically, it can be documented in the days of Claudius. So the disciples, the people in Antioch, decided, they determined that every one of them, according to their own ability, to, would send relief to the people living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. I love this story. I love this story because here's the guy that the people in Jerusalem didn't think was spiritual enough. Here's the guy in Jerusalem that people, in Jer that people didn't think that, that he was really a convert. He was some kind of con man who was trying to work his way into the church so he could persecute all of them. This is Saul that they didn't trust. And now Barnabas and Saul have been in Antioch with people who were Greek, not Hebrew. And now the people who are Greek, not Hebrew, have been so changed by Jesus that they're going to send back food. They're going to send back money. They're going to send back supplies to the very people who are questioning whether or not they could even know Jesus. Does that not strike you as something only God could make happen? Does that not strike you as something only God could change in somebody's life? Does that not strike you as a whole lot more grace than you just walk into the front of a crusade, kneeling at an altar, and being forgiven for the bad things you've done? See, in the church, we've had such a narrow focus of grace that we've missed the power to overcome the obstacles. We've missed the power to have our hearts changed by love. We've missed the opportunities that we've had for our life to be different, for the way we act to come from a different set of values, for the things that we do, not to be the rules and the regulations and I'm imposing. No, 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 no. Grace, what grace does is grace creates a better way of living than all the rule makers in the world could make. So you don't have to, I, I don't want to be weighted down by the rules of the church. Forget that. Just 
learn grace. Not just grace that forgives you and gives you freedom, because your grace is not licensed to sin. Paul deals with that in Romans. Read it sometime. No, your grace is to change your lifestyle so that you will be able to love those different than you, and you will be able to be a part of meeting the needs of others through you. God's grace. So that when you give money to Christmas families, or you spend time to volunteer at the 10th Street Food Pantry, or when you find a place to serve in your context, it's not because you're a good person. It's because the grace of God is at work 